Yeah. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Drawing South. I'm Mike Windy, and my guest today is the awesome Skyler Greg. Hey, Skyler, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. So this is a conversation, but I have to start with something. So 40 East, 40 West, how did you write a song that sounds like a song that I've always known? Oh, man. Well, that is quite the compliment. And um, it's so damn good. Oh, thank you so much. You know, that one, um, some of these songs you, and I'm sure like in a uh, visual art world, it's probably in, in sculpture, it's all, it's probably the same, but some things just like you create and some things happen to you, oh. you know? Hmm. Yeah. And that song was definitely written um, during an altercation or post altercation. And it just kind of was one that happened to me. You know, I felt like it was more of a gift from the universe, maybe than like a cultivated idea. So mm. I would say that and also hope that it's not actually already a song, which would be, <laughs> but I don't think it is. I don't no, think it is. I think what I meant by it was like, when you hear it, you're like, I don't know. There are certain songs that you hear that you're would they just sound like they're part of the pantheon of songs you've always known they just feel classic and timeless like already and then of course there are other songs that like can grow on you you know like you know like maybe there's a band um so my brother and i love lucero um oh, yeah. and so the they'll come out with songs over the last 20 years and there are songs of theirs that that feel like they were kind of like born Athena in full armor they're just like man like I'm gonna sing that song and I just know it and it's like you love it the first time you hear it and then there are other songs that I've end up really loving that I had to kind of come to it's like they were leading me as a as a listener to a spot that I wasn't ready for in their music or something I don't know I just but I feel like that 40 east 40 west like when I heard it I was just like and it wasn't like I thought I, I, I didn't say like is this a cover like I knew you had written it but it was one of those things where it's just like, man, this is, this is like this is such a great song. So I just, I love that way you explain that though. Cause I feel that you're right in art. Like sometimes I'll go into the studio and it's just a damn struggle. And I make 20 things and they, none of them look, they don't make any sense and they're not good. And I'm just like, and then some days I spend five minutes and something just kind of comes out and I'm like, how did I do that? Um, how did that happen have you always written music yeah my dad is a songwriter <clears throat> so him and my uncles all moved to nashville in the 70s okay and um i don't know i just i don't remember not writing songs uh and then my mom actually went to belmont and is a piano player and so i got instrumental instruction whether I liked it or not from you know really early and was able to figure it out that you can kind of like oh I can express emotion this way and it's way more productive than other ways that you know like than punching a wall or I don't know you're, the perfect, you're the perfect example there was uh, Terry Gross was interviewing a musician and I've already said it on the podcast and people are going to be if anyone's listening, they're going to say, you said it last time that you would look it up, but Terry Gross was interviewing this musician from New Orleans. And she said, uh, 
um, she was asked by Terry Gross, you know, did you ever think about not being a musician? And she said, Terry, when you grew up in New Orleans, um, before you're old enough to know, say no, you already know how. And it sounds like that was your life too. It's just like, dad was a songwriter. Mom was instrumentalist. <laughs> and you just already had the tools before you even thought like, I don't want to do follow what my parents are doing. You just already knew how to do what they were doing. Yeah. You just watch them and you learn. And I don't know, it seemed like a pretty cool thing to do. You know, uh, my mom's also a hairdresser, side note. So <laughs> I just, I didn't really uh, go out and discover anything new. I was just like, man, I really like doing this stuff. And I already, like you said, I already know how to do it. So I might as well keep rolling with it, I guess. Would you, if somebody came to you and said, hey, I, here's this deal, you can write songs and play music, and you, like this is your, this is your job, would you ever cut hair again? Um, I've always said that I would probably cut hair at least uh, two days a week, sorry, this cat, um, I would always cut hair like two days a week, just because I do really enjoy it. Hmm. It's also excellent networking. Yeah. And, um, and I really like my clients, you know, it's like, it doesn't, especially now that music is starting to pick up more and I've been able to kind of shave some of those days of cutting hair off of my schedule. Um, the less that I have to do it, the more I like it, you know? So I think right. I would keep doing it a couple days a week until there's like, I just don't ever imagine myself being so incredibly busy with music that I wouldn't at least have a couple shifts, you know? I mean, it could happen. And I and would I, definitely like ride that, you know? And I guess you've worked to a point where it's much more lucrative now for you to cut hair than it was five years ago, right? Like you've positioned yourself as a senior stylist um, to be able to wear when you're, when you're doing it, it's not quite the slog it might've been before where you're like, I'm going to have to cut 20 people's hair to like be able to, for this to be, to work out where you could say, yeah, I'll do two shifts a week. It'll be enjoyable. I'll catch up with friends. I'll catch up with people um, who, you know, like you said, networking, uh, you know, because I love coming to get my hair cut with you because we're going to have, we're going to have a great conversation. I thought we should have done this and we will at some point, we should do this while you're cutting my hair. Oh yeah. <laughs> I've actually had a couple people mention that. Um, Cause it is this like kind of oddly, I don't know, like something always, there's always good conversation when you're cutting somebody's hair Skyler, because they you, feel. You could start a podcast like in, in the chair with Skylar Gregg and you could yeah. start your own podcast. Your guest list would be amazing. I'm sure. Oh, I get the coolest people I get to talk to and people, you know, that um, I don't know like anything about being a doctor or mm -hmm. like being like, I have lots of guys who like are, um, do stuff in the stock market and are like brokers and stuff, you know? And I got to tell you, like most of my friends are musicians and creatives and artists and my husband is, and I get so pumped to talk to people about just like different stuff. Cause I'll tell you some of those careers are also, I mean, you would know this already, but some of those careers are also incredibly creative. Mm -hmm. Like to play the stock market, you have to have like you have to find these creative moments in your head to understand like where you're going to go or like what you're going to do. You know what I mean? But um, I love talking about stuff like that. And yeah, just across the board, we live in an awesome neighborhood where everybody's doing something different, you know? How long have you been there at Scouts? 
since the doors opened. So I've been at Scouts for, it'll be seven years in September. So six and a half years, six so years. In September. Is this the second building or is this their third space? This is their you? second, the second building. Yeah. Okay. Second building in East Nashville. Uh, I wasn't sure how it was going to feel because I loved, because I met you at the old space and I, I get pretty sentimental. And, oh yeah. But there was something about, well, everyone knows what happened in 2020, but also just between the, like with COVID, but also in East Nashville, the tornado, it's like, I can't be sentimental at this point in my life in relationship to things in East Nashville. Like people have got to figure it out, you know, like whatever, Man, yeah. you know, like them moving from that space is going to open up a space for somebody who got hit by the tornado. Cause it didn't get, you know, like, so I just didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even allow myself. I just went into the new space and was like, this looks awesome. Feels just like, it feels very, the vibe, I mean, that place is the people, right? Like it's not the place, it's not the physical building. It wasn't in a historical place. It's not in a historical place now. It's the right. feeling is the people in there. And of course there's cool stuff in there, but um, do you cut anyone else's, do you cut an entire family's hair besides us? I have several families that I cut all of their hair. I love it. It's, it's, it's really fun. And especially when... You have cut like there, like it usually starts with the dad, right? Like okay. usually the dad comes in and then I get to know, like, they're like, man, or I hope they're like, man, your hair looks good when you leave there. And so then I always try to drop like, you know, I also cut women's hair, mm -hmm. you know, I also cut kids hair. And then slowly you get to meet the whole family. And that's when it really, um, you know, you make friends that way. And you like start to be part of like this little I don't know. You're like their hairdresser, you know? And uh, it's fun to cut kids hair when they're really young. And then mm -hmm. now I've, I have some like 16 year olds that I've been cutting their hair since they were like kids, you know what right. I mean? Which is really cool. I think that you, I think that initially Joey would get his hair cut. Um, well, he hasn't gotten his hair cut during COVID at all. So it's long and, and getting oh, Wendy was telling me. Um, but there was a time when he would get his hair cut by a different stylist and we wouldn't just get on your list because we might be in a hurry. And so, and he and I almost until this year, well, until you cut my hair, that's the first time I've ever been into scouts without him. Like we always, yeah. we, we would always go in together and get our, both get our hair cut at the same time. Um, but when you started, I think after you talked to him about the horror um, video shoot you were doing, I think in his brain, he's like, I'm Skylar cuts my hair. <laughs> oh, I had the worst like anxiety about that because he, I, he thought it was so cool. And so I kept talking about it. And then I was like, I hope this is okay for you to watch. <laughs> I remember I you, coming, to, like, I remember you coming over to me and going like, Hey, I need to tell you something. I was like, Oh God, did she like cut his ear or <laughs> like, oh, that seems weird. Like she doesn't seem like she was as careless. And, and you were just like, I think, and I'm like, Oh no, it's totally fine. Totally okay, fine. good. I was like, I've done something bad. <laughs> no, he was just like, man, she said that she, she said he just started talking about horror. And I was like, wow, like that sounds really fun. You know? Uh, I mean, it was, it felt so silly to me that it didn't seem right as well, graphic as it was, you know? And at the time he was, he was at that age where it's like, it could have gone either way. There was a time in our lives with, with, with Joey, Wendy and I were super conservative about what he watched on TV. Whereas with music, we've never been conservative about what he listens to, right? Like 
and for me, it's just as a kid, I grew up and visuals just, I, they impacted me. Like I was very sensitive to what I saw on TV. And so part of that was just making sure that when he watches something that's connected to horror or that's connected to just anything that could be really a powerful image, I want him to kind of be able to make that decision. Like that's his to watch. And so, as so, so he was young enough at that spot to where like, you as someone who didn't know us that well would have been like, oh, I don't, you know, whereas, and we were fine with it. Whereas now he's 13. It's like, I mean, he's, we, we crossed that bridge a long time ago. Yeah. Right. Right. And once we yeah. got to that, once we got to that point and realized that he's not as sensitive as I was. Right. So he can, there's a video game, there's a horror video game and there's a famous streamer who shows himself playing the game and he's laughing while he's doing it and I can't handle I would not be able to handle it at all like it would creep me out Um, I've never figured out how to get that stuff out of my head Um, I also grew up in a very very kind of uh, right wing kind of like religious cult ish kind of church and so like demons kind of felt real to me as a kid you know like it felt like it was truly like a demon was going to be there and so yeah. as an adult, like that creepiness, like it just, that part of my brain, it still is really impactful to me. He can watch it and just go to bed and just have just like, like sugar plum dreams of doing kick flips and skating in the, you know, skate park. And he just wakes up the next morning, like, how'd you sleep? And he's like, great. And I'm like, well, I was nervous even talking about it. So, um, yeah. so, so anyway, he's, he's definitely passed, passed that. So you and I were chatting about, you grew up, um, we know, a fair amount of people in common that we're just now kind of piecing together that you actually went to school with. So like Aaron and Heather. Oh yeah. Uh, and I met Heather through you, but I met Aaron through just being an art teacher in Nashville. Yeah. And I remember her talking about going to those uh, Frist classes and I guess I just never put together. And I remember talking to you about the Frist classes and I never put together like, oh, you guys are both doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we're going yeah, to the same uh, thing. Yeah, Aaron and her husband Daniel are like our Inglewood family. They just moved to Donaldson uh, a couple months ago, but yeah, we're over there all the time. So she's a good friend of mine, and I just think her art is the coolest. Yeah, I you showed me those paintings, and I I looked back at her feed, and I'm wondering if I follow a personal feed, and then she has a separate art feed, or if she just doesn't put them on as much. As, uh, because I think that she studied with Sisyphon um, Futavang Houghton at MTSU because I'm pretty yeah I think she had her in painting class and that woman I'm finding out is a real super connector for people I know who are artists here in Nashville and beyond who studied with her and just loved her she's a super tough teacher like she doesn't put up with any excuses of like anything that everybody that says they took her classes like yeah she was really really tough but then they just love her they absolutely love her um we had that at that spark typically there would be you know sometimes there'd be as few as four or five people and then sometimes there would be 10 people or 11 people and that was including me and my friend Dee Dee and my friend joe who coordinated it with sean giles so that us four would already be there. And then sometimes there would be the artist 
Because what we would do is we would bring guest artists in, guest visual artists in to talk. And it was like incredible people. Like it was awesome. Like Brandon Donahue and Sisyphon and Jody Hayes. And I mean, it was like Donna Woodley. It was just this like really cool group of artists. And, but it was Thursday nights. So um, now I don't think we'd have a problem with it because people probably really lament that they can't go do those kinds of things. But at the time in Nashville, the great thing about Nashville is there's a ton of stuff going on. The worst thing about Nashville is like a, there's a ton of stuff going on. It's hard to get people to come to your thing. So right, we, right. Would get, we would get, you know, we would get 11 people, you know, but really we only got, we were only getting seven because four of us already showed up because we were always there. Uh, but Sisyphon, there were like 40 people. It was like standing room only. And all these people just came out of the woodwork who had studied with her and Aaron was there. And Aaron had come, she would come to those pretty often, but she also has kids and you know, she taught full time. And, um, but those were really great, really great events. And they just kind of ran out of, there was a time when Joe and Dee Dee and I like all simultaneously had shifts in our life. Joe quit teaching, Dee Dee moved to a different school and I moved to a different school. And we just didn't have the, the time to do those anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like at some point that might, those might come back um, in a way that would be cool. What, what happens like that for you? Like, what are, the, what are the things that you do as a songwriter and musician what kind of like underground little things like that happen that people don't know about? Like, are there get togethers with people to write songs? Are there just like hangouts? Are there things that happen that are the the equivalent of that kind of like research of like just really getting down to the nitty gritty of like what the kind of nerdiness of, you know, when we were at those things, we wanted them to be open to everybody, but it was just art teacher nerds who just wanted to get better at teaching art and connect kids to like cool living visual artists in the city. What what yeah. kind of stuff what kind of stuff do you find you you connecting to to kind of like write music like just to kind of nerd out about it? Well, I was really missing. I was like a songwriting student at MTSU, so we studied it and we were having to like write songs for different prompts and like do some creative writing and you know all that kind of stuff. And I I really I graduated from MTSU when I was like. 24 I think it took me a a minute to graduate college but um then I over the past few years I've really been missing learning and studying songwriting and thinking about it in different ways and hearing people talk about it so I actually recently well not it's been a minute but I've been doing NSAI which is the uh, Nashville songwriters what does it stand for I can't remember what it stands for right now. The National Songwriters up. Association International. I think it's the International Associate Association. Uh, but it has been awesome. Nashville Songwriters Association International. Yeah. So it's um all our stuff has been Zoom, obviously, recently, but you know, it's lots of um critiques on songs and uh, meeting with publishers. And I've actually made a lot of connections in like the sync world and um some of that kind of stuff um and it's been really awesome I kind of felt weird about doing it because I was like if I join this is that gonna mean that like like is this something for people who are kind of like green writers you know like who are new to town who are trying to get connected and then I just realized like who cares if it is like I just 
it might be good for me to talk to some of these new fresh writers and like hear what they're listening to and what they have to say. And uh, it's been really awesome, you know, and they're super cool over there. Um, but that's lots of stuff, kind of like what you're talking about, where you'll have, you know, a writer that you really love come and do like a, a talk, you know. I like that, that idea of just not worrying about what, not worrying about that ego, right? Like I'm Skylar Gregg, like I, I can write songs, like I don't need to go back and like I graduated, I did this, like I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this other thing or what people might perceive and you're just like, no. I miss this thing. I'm going to go do this thing and then see how it works. And then if it worked, and it sounds like it's worked really well. Like it's funny how many people I'm guilty of it myself, how we let ourselves let what someone would perceive about us to like, stop us from doing this thing that might be really helpful. Right. Just because it's almost like you're thinking like, I'm not supposed to need therapy. Like I should be able to figure my stuff out. And you're just like, I shouldn't have to have help writing songs. Like I know how to write songs. Like I've released several albums. Like what, what does this mean? And, and, and I think the really great thing about that is what I'm starting to find out more with like talking with people who are songwriters is everyone has a practice in some way, shape or form who's good at it that mimics something like that. Right. Maybe it's not where they are paying a membership and then they get certain benefits from this, this or this but they're figuring out a way. They have a circle of trusted ears around them that they like will say stuff to or show things to. And then they try certain things. Like everyone's got to practice. Like nobody is having the 40 East, 40 West thing happen to them every song. Like there are no songs. And if there are songwriters that say that, they're just liars. (laughs) Yeah, they're doing the fake it till you make it. And I'm really bad at faking it till I make it. I'm very bad at that. Uh, So... Uh, but that's really cool. I, you know, years ago, my brother knew somebody that was doing like their web design. And so he got me a free membership to it as like a, as part of a trade. Cause he was helping, he was helping that guy do something. And he was, and he was, he knew that I was kind of piddling around like writing songs and he was like, Hey, there's this really cool thing. And it's when they were really, this was like 2000, maybe 2007 they were trying to figure out what that looked like and at the time you would and I felt like completely intimidated because I'm like I'm not even a green writer I'm like just this dude just like piddling around like no no literally knows three chords and was like sending stuff in and he's like it doesn't matter and so at the time you could upload a song which took 15 minutes you know you'd sit there and just like wait wait and then you they just had like a Nashville songwriter who had written stuff would, would critique it. And you could pick at the time you could say, um, go easy on me. There's like three buttons and you could say, go easy on me. Um, I can handle a little bit. And then like the third one, I loved it. Cause it was like gloves off. Yeah. Yeah. And I always was like, Oh, gloves off. Like, I don't, like, I don't, I'm never going to see these people. Like I live in Hastings, Florida. I can handle it. Like, I'm just going to read it in an email. It was fantastic. I loved it. And some of the people like really took gloves off. I'm just like, wow. Like, I didn't think you had to be ugly about it. Like, yeah. I don't know if that's what I thought it meant. I thought it just meant like, I will not spare your feelings. I didn't know that it was going to be, you know, um, I'd written a song. And, and also the thing about it was at the time, it was very clear that they were trying to help people 
write songs that were going to get recorded, right? That's what they were really trying to push was this ability to say, hey, we're going to help you in the industry. And the industry is kind of contemporary, like Nashville country music, kind of maybe early Americana. And so they just assumed when you said gloves off that you were trying to get this song ready to pitch it to someone like you to sing. And so they were just like, she'll never sing this song. This is a terrible song, you know? No one wants to hear a song about their grandfather dying, you know, like, but it was really great because it was, it was super helpful feedback and like figuring out how to, and so I'm, I'm, I would imagine that it would still be like really useful and that, that you're getting, does it still, are there still ways to do that with it? Yeah. NSAI has a, uh, you get 12 evaluations a year. And so once a month on the first of every month, I just send them a song and uh, I, they also have the options of choosing like, you know, I think it's like five different degrees of, uh, you know, how real they're going to get with you. And I've been doing the same. I can't remember exactly what it says, but it's like, give it to me. I can take it or whatever. Yeah. It was like maybe the that's, last maybe one. That's what it, maybe that's what it was. And but so uh, I got to say the first one that I sent in um, and I, I needed to understand kind of like what the purpose of that was, which sure. I'm understanding now, like it, like kind of exactly what you're saying. Like it wasn't as much about, the artistry of what I was doing. It was more about the pitchability for yep. modern radio, you know, yep. and that's not necessarily what I do. And that's okay as an artist. Cause I'm just, sure. I'm just, that's what I do. Like, that's my voice. Like, I don't know. It's, it's not, you know, necessarily exactly what they want, but I'm learning that I can write those kind of songs. And those are the kind of songs that I need to be sending them, but right. I sent them roses off of my uh off of this record that is my favorite song on the record because i just i just think it's a cool song and uh they hated it i mean they just like ripped it to shreds where like this melody is dated and the uh the content is at he said honestly this content is kind of depressing i think is what he said and mm -hmm. i was like and all, but all the things he was saying, I was like, I mean, all those things are kind of what I was going for. Like, I wanted it to be like a throwback dated melody, you know, and all this stuff. And, uh, and if you had given me that review when I was 22, I would have laid in bed for three days and cried. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as a 34 year old, that's like gotten so much criticism over the past 10 years. It's like, all right, well, that's just what one dude thinks about it. And like, I could understand why he was saying that they or she i guess it wasn't gender specific but uh what oh, they yeah, were they, saying they, they don't tell you who it is no it's like a yeah. number yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and uh but you know it just rolled off my back and i took it I, I took it as a learning experience and i was like this is literally what i asked them to do right this is what i asked them to do it's like i can't be mad about this and then you just move on and you send them another one you know and you're getting such a specific point of view about like once you know it's once you figure out that it's that it's about marketability and that that's where their expertise lies then it's it it's it it does become much even more helpful right and you're just like oh right like i'm always going to get these for all you know you're always going to get those for the songs like roses right like you're so it's like there's it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to send those right, right. unless you just unless you what i've always found out is like if you love a movie critic, like a, a helpful movie critic doesn't have to agree with what you think about movies, as long as they're consistent. 
And so right. you can you can like hear a movie critic go like, this was terrible. I hate it. And no, ooh, I'm going to love that one. And she's a really, so she's my critic because I know what information is coming out and I know, and she's consistent. And so I can bank off that, even if I don't agree with her point of view. And I think it takes a lot of people uh, way too long to get to that spot of kind of understanding that like a critic's role and my role as an artist is not necessarily to have someone who has a voice to kind of like to to criticize that or give feedback that it that it's not I don't need them to like me and I don't need to like them like if they are consistent and they are doing their part and they are honoring the, the process right of both what they're doing and what I did that's all you need and then you know if you if you're if if with the wisdom of you know the you know the the big Lebowski where you can just be like that's just like your opinion man you know like that that it takes many of us way too long to get to if you can match that like not letting internalizing and just like letting it be and saying like you said is it true you know like Mm -hmm. are those things true and yeah he or she was right those are true that song's probably not going to be a song that's going to be pitchable in that way Um, right right so that's really that's really interesting it was hard for me the first time um, and very few people have written about my work um there's even less people writing about art than there are about music. And, um, but, you know, I remember someone saying that my work was a lark and I was just like, Ooh, what is that? Like a lark's like a joke. Like, like, are they saying, and, and the way that the, the way that they stated it, it was hard to kind of piece together if it was like, if it was in a good way or in a bad way, like it was still pretty ambiguous. Cause it was like, there was this real serious work. It was part of a group show. Uh, and now I would hear that and be like, okay, like I don't, whether it's good or bad, like I'm glad that it's in there. I would send a thank you note to who wrote it and be like, Hey, thanks for thinking about my work. And then just kind of move on. Uh, I mean, yeah. And in some ways, I guess like, you know, cause we got a little like Mike fan club, <laughs> just like there's a lot of my friends that really like the stuff that you're doing you know what I mean like we think it's really cool and I think that that part of it is that it's like not like comical but it is fun and it is like you know what I mean it doesn't take itself too seriously and there's something so beautiful in that maybe that's what they were actually meaning you know it's like I uh and I'm sure that you do have you know I'm sure that some of your work is really serious just like I have you know you have to express yourself in all different ways. Right. Sure. But, um, but you know, like I totally, I totally get what they're saying. And I don't necessarily think that that's a negative thing. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that's the thing though, is I, when I got that review, I just not had many people write about my work. And so, and it was like, it was like two sentences. And so you're just like, Ooh, there wasn't a lot of context of like, they were just like, compared to this stuff, Mike Wendy's work is a lark, super colorful work. And then the next thing was like, that was it. And so you're left, like you said, when you're 21 and I was older than that, but like, you're left with like, what does that mean? Like, I'm waiting for this thing to come out. I'm waiting for it to get written about. And of course, now I know that no one, very few people read that line in that newspaper, right? Like it was in the, it was in St. Pete, probably Tampa, I guess it was Tampa Times or is it Tampa Tribune? I forget what the Tampa paper is. I know it's a has historically been an important paper. So it was cool to be in, but even like no one reads newspapers, you know, it was like, like I probably read it and like 20 other people read it. 
And uh, but again, I think that that spot of kind of getting that difference between when you like when you were 21 and then now, like the ability to kind of take it in and go like, oh yeah, my work is can be seen that way. It can be seen as very fun, even if it, even if I didn't agree with it. It's just like, oh, she never met me, saw my work. That's an interesting. That's an interesting point of view. I know that now, huh? That's cool. You know, like it takes a lot to get to that spot where you can, when you're making work, to like not just have these kind of raw nerve chip on your shoulder kind of things, um, kind of pop up. Uh, that's nice of you to say about people that you know liking my work. I was talking to my friend Don Raj, um, who um, is going to hopefully be on the podcast soon. And I was telling him, I spent way too much time in my life worrying about the people that didn't like my work and not near as enough time, like nurturing those relationships of the, the smaller group of people that for sure like my work and have told me as much, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. I spent way too little time and I've done a pretty good job of that, but it's like, man, if I know somebody that knows my work, knows my work and loves my work, like I need to be hanging out and talking with them because I don't need a huge amount of people to love my work right like I just don't like yeah I mean I would love it if they did but like as far as like I'll make my work no matter what so if I have a small audience that loves my work awesome like that's incredible and I just spent way too much time not realizing that and not just celebrating like hey I've got you know there's there's probably around 50 people in the world who like really know my work pretty well and really like it that's an incredible number of people that's a that's, huge, awesome. that's a huge number of people that like are paying attention compared to all the stuff they have to pay attention to and they've chosen to pay attention to what I'm up to like that's that's incredible and I just haven't um I, I would say I'm you know in the last five years I've done a much better job but just early on in my career I was way worried about like trying to convert folks who didn't or convince those folks instead of just going like cool Skylar loves my work I'll talk to her about it, right? I'll send her, yeah. you know, I'll send her pictures. Hey, I'm working on this. Like, just like understanding how to do that. And I'm thankful I've gotten like a lot better at that and realizing that it's going to be, I'm making curious kind of specific kind of niche work that not everyone's going to necessarily get, right? Because they're not necessarily going to realize that some of it's pretty serious, right? Like some of that work. I was in a show in grad school at um, Majanic which was a concentration camp that had turned into a, it had been turned into a, uh, an art center for its community. And so they did this um, triangle. I thought you were being cheeky for a minute, but now I get what you're saying. No, no, no. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. So it was, it had been, and so I had work and it kind of would look like it rhymes visually with like a lot of work that I make. Um, but the, the when I was making it I was thinking about that space I was thinking about um, I had a, an eighth grade teacher who was like a holocaust um she was like kind of had made herself an expert on the holocaust like through her just own research and then she taught it to us she we had to fill we got to fill out forms and our parents filled them out and we in eighth grade saw like all the horrible horrible video footage and so it was always really impactful to me at 13 to have seen all that stuff so it's always one of been one of those things on my mind so I was made I'd made some pieces about that so I sent them off and I got into this exhibit and so it's interesting like a lot of people would think you know like you said the work looks really fun but like at the same time like at one point 
some of that work hung in this space that um, was a concentration camp that has been turned into this community art center for this particular town in Poland. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting the, the way that you said that. Um, you talked about range, writing a range. I always make the, the joke that art happens on the continuum between Dumb and Dumber and Schindler's List, right? Yeah, if it, yeah. If, it, if it's only Schindler's List, it's, that can get pretty heavy. It's like, come on, you know? And if it's only Dumb and Dumber, it's like, geez, Skylar, like, do you ever have a serious thought? Like, you know, and it's okay. like, it, it, and like it happens in that range. And typically artists make work on that range, right? Like, uh, I remember um, on this uh, live live album, Towns Van Zandt was talking about someone asked him if he'd write a lullaby and he's like I don't think so you know and the guy said well there's money in it and he goes well I could probably come around to writing a few lullabies <laughs> yes. so, to think about someone like him you know just writing like bedtime lullabies that someone at some point paid him to write some lullabies and he did it because he's like cool I, I need to I need to pay the rent and I need to do this and um Who's your favorite? Um, so growing up in Nashville, like like you growing up around and near Nashville, and your dad being a songwriter in the seventies, he has to have some crazy stories about like songwriters who he met in the seventies. Did you get a bunch of access to like songwriters that friends of yours, either in college or now, are just like, how do you know those people? Or were you less detached? Were you like? not necessarily with that interest in what your dad was until kind of later on. You know, my dad did have, um, my dad have my dad has gold records and he had some success and stuff. He doesn't really like, he writes for his own enjoyment now because he's, he got tired of doing it for work and wanted to do it as like, as art, but he still writes. Um, and then my uncles have had, my uncle is in this band called Restless Heart. Um, which was like a, I guess they started in like the late seventies, early eighties, but he was pretty successful as well. And was, you know, is close with a lot of like writers that are in the kind of nineties country scene, but I always really, really wanted to, I think I could have asked them for help and I could have tapped into some of that, but I always really, really wanted to do it myself. Mm. I always really wanted to, I don't, I, maybe this is, it's probably like a, a flaw in my life, but I, I just don't, I want the artistic journey to be this like crafted, like how you figure out, like I, I enjoy the journey, you know? And if you get a freebie or you get a handout, it kind of like seems like it would, I don't know, like it would kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It would just mess it up because that's not the journey you're supposed to have. You're supposed to be like creating these relationships organically. And it's, I want to write with somebody because they think my songs are cool or right. I want to write with somebody because they like me or I want to write with somebody because they want to make a cool song and they think that I can have some piece of that, you know? Right. And, uh, and I don't know, I, I guess I could have done that or maybe not. I could have asked them and they'd be like, ah. Eh, we're not gonna we're not gonna send you to these I don't know they're my uncles and my dad and they're also big time like 
you know, you got to work hard if you're ever going to get anywhere, you know, right. so they may have just made me work for it on my own anyways. If They're I probably like, man, I'm so glad she never came to me because I was going to tell her no, but it's been, it's been, nice, that, it's been <laughs> nice that we sent, we sent, it's been nice that the message was received. Turns out we're just as good at sending those kinds of messages as we are at writing songs because she heard it loud and clear because we, exactly. we, we were not going to help her. I, I, I can understand that that idea of wanting it to be your your success and and not have it be someone else success someone else saying well you know she only she only got that because so-and-so did this or so-and-so did that yeah wouldn't that be Um, awful you know what I mean I feel myself doing that sometimes unfairly like I shouldn't do that because there's there's a ton of artists that I that I really love like um like Lily Hyatt for example Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like she does not do what her dad does right she has her own thing she is a creative and she is an artist and she stands on her own two feet and that's a good I mean not that I would have ever had the same opportunities that that she's had but I mean I don't look at her and say uh oh well you know her dad Right. Like, I don't do that. I, I say, I don't even think about the fact that her dad is famous. I just like, like to go to her shows because I think her songs are super cool. And I think she rules, you know what I mean? Well, and I think one of the things about specifically Nashville is I think that if you're in a city like Nashville, like everybody's mom or dad's famous in some way, shape or form inside of the music business. And so it's like, I think it buys you less credibility than it might in other spaces. And so it allows her to be able to go like, oh, wow, that's an, that's an interesting like biographical note. Like, okay, move on. Is it good? Okay, if it's not good, we're not going to listen to that. Um, right. uh, John Hyatt has one of my favorite lines about art ever. Like from a standpoint yeah. of like feeling really comfortable about who you are. And uh, he said, there ain't nothing wrong with your record that a John Hyatt song can't fix. And I loved that idea of, of that just kind of bravado of him just being like, look, I'm good at what I do. You find a hole in your spot. You know, you need to, you need, you know, like, I'm not saying I'm going to write your whole record. I'm just saying that if you think that like you need that one more, you're at nine and you need 10, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a John Hyatt song that can fix your record. You know, like That's awesome, yeah. was such a great, great line. And I'm sure that he's fixed a bunch of records. In, in in his life with uh, with that man, I just I just think that's hilarious. I last a couple of years ago, I I made a post and I said there ain't nothing wrong with your Christmas list that a Mike Wendy painting won't fix. And then I credited, yeah. I credited him and said you know stolen from John Hyatt. Um, that's really cool. Who um, so you put that that record out in August, right? Um, roses and i'm excited because i got the record and then i ordered two of those uh two of your bags oh yeah i have to bring those to you you know um heather Mulder did the graphic for that the text and then aaron scoby did the drawing i think that i I didn't like i pressed i bought those and then afterward noticed that and i was like oh that's great because they had just come up in conversation um before when you were cutting my hair recently um so what's, are you, I feel like you talked about that you're, you've had a very productive, creative COVID experience. Is there a new record on the way or did you just, were you creative in a way that 
hasn't necessarily kind of congealed into a project. You know, I was so blessed at the beginning of COVID to be where I was at in the record cycle. Like I had already planned to do all that stuff before it happened. And so then I just ended up having time to literally sit here and just, you know, do the part of, <laughs> of music that I don't like as much, which is like the business side of it, you know, but I was able to really hone in and like make a lot of discoveries and figure out. Um, what's important and where the good places to put money are to get people, you know, your music to people's ears and stuff like, like that during that time and all that stuff, you know, and uh, I was really lucky for that and felt very blessed. And then I was going, I kept trying to figure out, cause you know, I read a lot of books about songwriting and about the music industry and no book is going to tell you what to do right now because right. they I mean you know when did this happen like the 19 the Spanish flu was in like 1918 right. and is that you know and, and music industry was so different then that there's I mean I don't need to know about how to sell sheet music during a pandemic you know what I mean right. so um it was interesting to just kind of be like well I guess I'm just gonna have to figure it out and then I was going to do like a vinyl release in the fall after like in September or October of roses to kind of use that as a, um, as like a springboard to go into touring again. Like I kept right. being like, Oh, well, we'll go ahead and release the record. And then I'll just release this final and do like another campaign to kind of springboard into shows. And then it was just like, now, you know, after that record cycle was over, I went back into writing mode and I mean, I'm just ready to do another record, you know? So right. I, I definitely think that I'm kind of just over it um, creatively and ready to just move on. And not that I didn't love it and not that I don't think it was an important part of my career, but um, right. I'm just so excited about the new songs that I've written. Sure. Um, because everybody should be, you know, about the next thing. Right. Uh, I'm just so pumped about it that I'm ready to just move on, you know? We but, lost uh, you. We yeah, lost you. So I guess we, I will be going out of the studio at some point. Cool. You glitched out just for a second, but I think I, I think we got the gist is that idea of, you know, you and many artists. That's one of the things that's, that can be difficult is that, figuring out ways in which to do the business side of it, which isn't necessarily everyone's favorite, but, you know, people are figuring out how to get better and better at it. You're reading books about it. You're, you know, you're working with NSAI. Um, you're, you know, you're figuring that part out. You're, you're doing your homework and figuring the, that, the, that component, you're, you're beefing up your weakness, right? Your weaknesses in the, in the industry that you're in by just shoring that stuff up. But from a creative side, you're just like, okay, in this particular environment, like it may not matter. I, you could be as good as you want in business, but like you would be releasing an album with every other artist in the world that's doing the exact same thing. And it sounds like you're, there's a part of you that's just going like, yeah, I'll skip that. I'm just going to record the new record. <laughs> yeah, it's like, can you imagine how competitive it's about to be? You know, like I'm not, if I'm I reading these books, where all have, these people are saying this stuff, go ahead. I have a feeling we're going to see, I think some of the greatest shows ever will happen because I think there are going to be 
when I say greatest, I mean, one, I think there's going to be a lot of energy, but also I think there's going to be some, some really interesting shows that happen because I think that there are going to be people that would take every gig that comes their way. Right. So you're going to see jazz drummers playing with gospel bands and, you know, people, like the, the, the amount of different kinds of people sitting in, I think is going to be really, really interesting just because they're going to be excited about getting to do it. You know, like, like who are the Wooten brothers going to sit in yeah. with and hang out with? Like who are, who's everyone that we've ever known and heard of and who's around just going to pop in because not for any other reason than just like the joy of like, I haven't played music in a while and I've got to make up for this. I've got to scratch this itch that has been, you know, a year and a half in the making. Skylar, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, a, a lot of my friends, um, you know, this has been, did you lose me? No, you're here. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, from talking to a lot of my musician friends, it's going to be interesting too, because there's been a lot of people who have decided that it, they're not in, as in love with this as they thought they were. Yeah. That weren't, that kind of didn't want to wait around. Yeah. And that's totally fine. You know, there's like plenty of things to do and lots of creative outlets. And there's a lot of people who have discovered that it might be something they do want to do. Right. So there's this like going to be this weird rotation yeah. of, uh, of people that kind of go in and out of it. And I, I think that's going to really interesting too and not sad because you know if you weren't having fun then why were you doing it right. <laughs> you know yeah yeah um well hey i think we're we're at about the hour mark but also it looks like we are um something's going on where i don't know if it's my internet or your internet so i think it'd be nice to kind of tie this up real quick uh, where can people find you online totally Skylar, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Where can people find you online? Oh, sorry. Uh, Skylar Gregg, S-K-Y-L-A-R-G-R-E-G-G at all the things, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, SkylarGregg.com, SkylarGregg at Gmail. It should be, it should, I've tried to make it as easy as possible to find me. That's awesome. Um, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And I'm going to just take the chance since we've had this strong connection to kind of tie this up. I hope that we can do it again sometime soon. Um, I've talked with everybody who I've had conversations with so far about that it would be fun to do this multiple times over, you know, several years just to be able to kind of just keep connecting and um, just find out where you are at, you know, a year from now and two years from now and six months from now. And so, um, I'm so happy that you are. I'm really excited that you're making another record already. Um, I love the first, this one that you just put out. Um, what was the first record? How many records do you have out? Three. So that the first one had Walking in the Woods. Was that what it was called? Mm -hmm. Or that was song? That was the kind of title track. That was the title track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so there are three records there. You can go find them. Um, you can check her out on Bandcamp. You can check her out on our website. Um, you can also book an appointment with her at Scouts and chat with her and get to know with her, get to know her and network with her. And um, hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate you spending an hour with us today. Hey, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. <laughs>